Oregon Trail, man, I rock at this game. It is so amazing. Yes, it is. It's all about making the right decisions, making the right choices, just like the book of Proverbs. And here's a situation. I'm hoping to make it to the creek this time and actually not die. What could possibly go wrong? Got to beat Diebel in this. That's the only thing I want to do. Here we go. I have a snake bite. What the heck? Oh, dysentery? No! Oh, gosh. Died of dysentery. Could there be anything worse? Good morning, Westside Family Church. So great to see you here at Lenexa, our Speedway campus. Those of you watching online, a shout out to my beautiful wife, Roseanne, and her mother, Joan Batanti. This is her first trip upon her dad going to be with Jesus. She's there to give her mom a hug and watch our service together. Can we get my wife and Joan Batani a hand? Welcome them to the service. Woo! So there was a ship that was wrecked by a storm at sea, and only two men were able to swim to a small uh, desert-like island. And the two survivors who had been friends, not knowing what else to do, felt like their only recourse was to pray to God. Yeah. And uh, they decided that they didn't know whose prayers would be more powerful. So they divided the territory on this small desert-like island in two. And one lived on one side, one was on the other side. On the very first day, they prayed for food. And the first man wakes up and he discovers a fruit-bearing tree of which he's able to eat from, but on the other side of the island, the land was barren. About a week later, the first man decided to pray because he was lonely for a wife. And wouldn't you know it, he wakes up the next day and discovers that there's been another shipwreck and the sole survivor is a woman who comes to his side of the island. On the other side of the island, there is nothing. Soon, the man, the first man, begins to pray for a house and for clothes and for more food. And the next day, he wakes up, and it's like magic. All of these things have been given to him, and still nothing on the other side of the island. Finally, the man decides to pray for a ship. Why not, right? He prays for a ship so he and his wife could leave the island the next day. Wouldn't you know it, there is a ship docked on his side of the island. So him and his wife, they board the ship and they're taking off, making the decision to leave the second man on the island. He decided his friend was unworthy to receive God's blessings because none of his prayers were answered. But then there was, as they were leaving, a voice from heaven that said, why are you leaving your friend on the island? To which the first man said, my blessings are mine alone since all of my prayers were answered. None of his prayers were answered, so he does not deserve to go. The voice from heaven said, you are mistaken. He has only prayed one prayer of which I answered. If not for that, you would have received none of my blessings. The first man said, tell me, God, what did he pray? 
that I should owe him anything. And God said, he prayed that all of your prayers would be answered. We all need a friend like that. But the truth is, many of us don't have such a friend. Even here in Kansas City, there's some recent research that has been looking at what people have been Googling lately since the pandemic uh, the most, and what they discovered, that the number one thing that people are Googling is for a friend. They are lonely and lacking community. That's not only happening here in Kansas City, but all over the place. My middle son, Stephen's girlfriend, is a neurologist, and she was sharing with me recently that upwards to 50% of the patients she sees don't need a neurologist. Here's how the conversation goes. I've checked you all over, and the good news, ma'am, the good news, sir, is that you do not have a neurological problem. Upwards to 50% of the patients then say, that's okay, when can I set up my next appointment? Yeah, they don't have a neurological problem, they have a loneliness problem. Dr. Chan is her name and she sent me national research which suggests that she as a physician is not alone. You see, people are longing for a good friend and they're willing to pay for it if necessary. Yeah. So today we're continuing in our series through the book of Proverbs, an Old Testament book filled with pithy statements that are inspired by God. Therefore, you can take them to the bank. And the book of Proverbs is designed that if you'll not only understand them, but dare to apply these many principles to your life, you are setting yourself up in the best possible position to live your best life. Anybody want a best life? Yeah, that's why you're here today, hopefully. Now, we have covered, we are covering the six major topics in the book of Proverbs. So far, we have covered the fool in week one. Then we have covered, last week, the sluggard, week two. And today, we're looking at the topic of the friend. Yeah, something we all need. And so, we're going to cover today the four characteristics of a good friend found in the book of Proverbs. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Or another alternative is to open up the Westside app and go to the gathering notes and there you'll discover all the scriptures I will be reading as well as an outline for you to fill in these four traits and take them out with you. Now, of the four characteristics or traits of a good friend. The first one is constancy. Say constancy. Constancy. Oxford Dictionary defines constancy as the quality of being faithful and dependable. And this is up against the opposite of constancy, which is the fair-weathered friend. Merriam-Webster defines fair-weathered friend as someone who is only loyal during times of success. And the book of Proverbs would agree. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 20 said, The poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich 
have many friends. Proverbs chapter 19 says, wealth attracts many friends, but even the closest friend of the poor person deserts them. Many curry their favor with a ruler, and everyone is the friend of one who gives gifts. The poor are shunned by all of their relatives. How much more do their friends avoid them? Though the poor pursue them with pleading, they are nowhere to be found. So wisdom says that whenever someone wants to be your friend, you should ask the question in your mind, why do they want to be my friend? Why do they want to be my friend? And the opposite is also true. Whenever you want to be a friend of somebody else, you should ask the question from your heart, why do I want them to be my friend? Yeah, you need to separate the difference between your real friends and your deal friends. Yeah. So I have a good friend in San Antonio uh, uh, by the name of George. Uh, He's a neighbor, uh, a friend, and I had the privilege of being his pastor while I was there for 10 years. And one day after a round of golf, we were in the 19th hole. And I asked my friend George, do you have any good friends? And he immediately replied, yes, Norma. I said, tell me about Norma. And he said, well, uh, Norma and I met in high school. We, and she was my very first love. And we got married in 1971. And then for the next 10 years, she stood by me as I was rejected after rejection, trying to get a record deal. And I was broke and ready to give up. But she believed in God's vision for me. And she encouraged me to give it just one more year. And at the end of that year, I hit it with my very first big song. And I have been successful since. He said, Norma was my friend when I was poor and broke and discouraged. She is a real friend, not a deal friend. As you might have guessed, my good friend's full name is George Strait. And he has been married to his real friend, Norma, for 51 years. That, my friends, is constancy. Constancy. As a matter of fact, the book of Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 17 says, Friends love through all kinds of weather and families stick together in all kinds of trouble. Proverbs 27.10 says, Do not forsake your friend. Do not forsake your friend. The first characteristic or trait of a good friend is constancy. Say constancy. The second one is candor. Say candor. Candor. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Now what could that possibly mean? A good friend is someone who tells you when there is spinach in your teeth before you go out on your first date. Yeah. A good friend is someone who tells you that your zipper is down before you go out and speak to a large crowd. Yeah. 
as you might suspect, this has happened to me. Yeah, I was in Chicago teaching pastor at Willow Creek Community Church. I was going out for a conference. The room was filled, 7,200 people. And the people in the green room knew that my zipper was down, but they did not use candor to tell me for my benefit that in fact it was. I spoke, I gave a brilliant talk. When I walked off of the stage, I recognized the situation and thought that I'd gotten away with it. Yeah, years later, a woman came up to me from some other place and she said, I was there for that talk you gave at that conference and I leaned in and like ready for the compliment and... She said, I couldn't pay attention to anything you were saying because your zipper was down. (laughs) A good friend would have not let me be in that situation. Now, on a more serious note, illustration, in the Old Testament, a guy named David, King David of Israel, decides to have an affair with a married woman by the name of Bathsheba, and to cover it all up, he has her wife, her, her husband killed on the battlefield, and he has a good friend, his name is Nathan, a prophet, who's the only one who will tell King David that he was wrong. He said, thou art the man. Let me ask you, do you have at least one good friend who will tell you the truth? Do you have one? Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 5 says, To flatter friends is to lay a trap for their feet. Now, what does that mean? It means that flattery will cause your friends to like you more, but the encouragement that you give or the encouragement or discouragement that you fail to give may cause them to make a foolish decision that will ultimately put them in a trap. Yeah, flattery will make them like you more, but as a good friend, you are to offer them candor when you see the decision they're about to make is going to hurt them. At the opening of 1 Kings, King David is getting old. He's getting old, and maybe some of you know what this is all about. He's old, and he cannot find himself getting warm under any circumstances. He just can't get warm. Our blood gets thinner as we get old. And so they come up with a solution for the king. They bring him a virgin to lay down with him to keep him warm. Now, there's a solution that I had not thought about, right? (laughs) By the way, it says there was no hanky-panky. Yeah, and I would not have believed it if it weren't in the Bible, right? While he is laying with the virgin, I can't believe I'm saying this, while he's there, cold as ice, his son Adonijah decides that he's going to be the next king. The scripture tells us that he exalted himself. It's another way of saying that he was full of himself. And here's what the story tells us. 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 6. His father, David, had not displeased him at any time in saying, why hast thou done this? The scriptures turns this back on to David as the father and friend and said that it was David's responsibility 
to speak to his son, to displease him with candor so that he would not do what he was about to do. And the ending of the story is disastrous. Let me ask you, who do you need to displease so that you can prove the depths of your love to that person by telling them the truth and dealing with the issues that they must face? Who? The first trait is constancy. Say constancy. The second one is candor. Say candor. And the third one is counsel. Say counsel. Counsel. Okay, Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 9 says, Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. Back to the story of David before he becomes king. He is on the run as a fugitive from King Saul who is super jealous at David's popularity and success. Prince Jonathan, the king's son, next in line to be the king, grabs David by the cheeks, looks him square in the eye, and says this to him in 1 Samuel chapter 23. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. What Jonathan is offering here is not a word of flattery because Jonathan knew that this was true. This was the will of God for David. And David knew it as well because not too, er, too much earlier, God, through the prophet Samuel, told David as a young man he would be the next king. Jonathan is not engaging in flattery, but rather Jonathan is engaging in good counsel, reminding David of God's good vision for him that David had lost sight of. In 1 Samuel chapter 23 and verse six, it says, and Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. A good friend helps you find strength in God and reminds you at your time of need of the good vision that God has for you. They lift your spirits and get you back on track. The proverb says, the pleasantness of a friend brings joy to our heart. So I ask you the question, when has someone done that for you lately? Grabbed you by the cheeks and helped you find strength in God? When you have lost sight of God's good vision for you. When have you done that for someone else? This is what Norma did for George Strait. And had she not done it, we would not have songs like, All my exes live in Texas. That's why I hang my hat in Tennessee. 
So I challenged George on that song. I did. I said, now, George, you don't have any exes. You've been married to Norma for 51 years, and you don't live in Tennessee. You live right here in San Antonio. And he said, Randy, I didn't write the song. I just sing it. Yeah. But as it turns out, this concept of counsel is not just about perfume and incense and country music. The Proverbs adds another layer to the kind of counsel we are to provide for our friend. It is found in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 27. And it basically says, let me provide you with some background music. As iron sharpens iron, so one man, one woman sharpens another. You get it? Because if you don't, I'll keep doing it. Yeah. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. What does that mean? A good friendship is not all about rainbows and unicorns. No, sometimes it gets pretty spicy. This includes healthy competition, lively exchange of ideas, and constructive criticism. Yeah, constructive criticism. That a good friend will bring out the best in you, sometimes through healthy competition, and other times through constructive, not destructive, but constructive criticism that only they could get away, get, get away with because of the relationship they have with you. They may say things like, you let your kids walk all over you. Why do you do that? Or they may say, man, that was just rude. That's how guys talk, by the way. Man, or man, why did you dishonor your spouse in front of us? That was not cool, man. You're better than that, man. They bring out the best in us. So the first trait is constancy. Say constancy. The second one is candor. Say candor. The third one is counsel. Say counsel. Now the fourth one is called common sense. Say common sense. Yeah, ultimately, a good friend has respect for another person's feelings. You need friends who are relationally intelligent. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 17 gives us one of the many rules of common sense. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house too much of you and they will hate you. Yeah, yeah, what does it mean? It means don't outstay your welcome. You've heard the phrase, house guests are like fish in the refrigerator. After three days, they start to stink. Yeah, or the rule of thumb is, for me, whenever a person invites you to stay longer, they don't mean it. <laughs> We've had a rule over the years, Roseanne and I did, to keep our friends because it's been violated on us many a times. We will not stay past 10 o'clock no matter what the person says. Now that I'm over the age of 60, it's going down to 8 o'clock. <laughs> Got to get tucked into bed before nine, yes. Here's another one, Proverbs chapter 25 and verse seven says, if anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Yeah, some of you are like, I have a relationally unintelligible friend who's like this. It's referring to people like me. 
people like me who are extreme extroverts filled with God-sized sanguine, yeah, and I just don't know how to dial it back. For me, every conversation is like we're in the fourth quarter of a Chiefs game, and you're like, man, you need to chill out a little bit. Right. Hey, the proverb doesn't says it, but it implies it. The truth is also it's also true for the introvert in the room. Yeah. Me as a sanguine guy trying to keep a conversation going with you is like really tough. You know, I'm running out of material, man. You got to help me out. Right. Here's another piece of advice. Proverbs 25, 20 says, Like the one who takes away a garment on a cold day or like vinegar poured on the ground is on a wound is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. So you have a friend who's had a bad day or has lost their job, has lost a loved one, broke up with their boyfriend or girlfriend or just got news of a health issue. It's not time for you for your pump you up talk, you know? It's not time for that. It's not time for Christianese. Well, God's gonna work all things together for the good. By the way, Romans 8.28 is my favorite passage in all the scriptures. There's just a time to say it, and there's a time not to say it. Good example, Old Testament, Job. You know the story, right? But you're paying me to tell it, so I'm gonna tell it, all right? So, Job, he's lost everything. He's lost his job, his livelihood, his children, and his own personal health. He has three friends who come and visit him, and for seven days, they do nothing but sit quiet in the ashes with him. They did their best work as a friend by keeping their mouth shut. It was on the eighth day when they opened up their mouth to try to give counsel as to why God had brought all of this on them, that they made their mistake. And if you read the story, God confronts them seriously for doing such a relationally unintelligent thing. Sometimes when our good friend is down, the best thing to do is to hug them, to listen to them, and sit with them in the ashes with our mouths shut. One more good piece of advice on common sense found in Proverbs 26, beginning in verse 18. Like a manic maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. Now, how do these two work together. So I went online to look for maybe a visual image of this, and I found a short video out of America's Got Talent, where this guy's talent is to swallow this like long tube into his throat, that on the end of it is a small, very small target. He leans forward, and then he has his fiancee shoot a fiery arrow at him. What could possibly go wrong? Well, take a look. After swallowing a sword with a bullseye attached to it, stuntman Ryan Stock stands by as his fiance prepares to fire a crossbow with a flaming arrow at him. But instead of hitting the mark, the burning arrow hits his throat. The judges were shocked. Why are we judging this act? That's right. Amber just shot Ryan and he needs to go, go to, to the hospital EMT. now. Everyone would agree 
that that's just plum crazy, right? Right, that's plum crazy. You do not need a friend like that. The analogy is, is that a person who takes a joke too far and says, I was only kidding, is like a friend shooting a flaming arrow at you, right? And a good common sense would tell us as a friend, uh, well, here's what Robert Allen Alden says in his commentary on Proverbs. He says, humor is a delightful gift from God, but it can be misused. Yeah, you need to be relationally intelligent and know. So when, well, I'm, let me list the four things, okay? Here are the four traits, ready? Um, the first one is, does anybody know? Constancy. The second one is? The third one is? Yeah, the last one is? So I'm going to ask you, of those four, which ones are you good at and which ones do you struggle? For me, I am good at constancy and I am good at counsel, but I struggle, struggle with candor. I think sometimes I need to displease a person in my life and I usually hold back. I need to get better at that. And then I also oftentimes take a joke too far. Yeah, I do. I thought it was funny. But apparently the other person did not. When we, Roseanne and I were getting our marriage counseling, uh, the guy uh, picked up on my, my amazing wit. And, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and this is what he offered up as the only piece of advice that I recall. He said, Randy, you are very witty and your sarcasm is well-timed, but never use it on your wife. And I didn't listen to him. <laughs> and I wish that I had. So what is it for you of those four traits? What are you good at? And how can you become a better friend? As I said in the beginning, my prayer is that you will have at least one person who you would consider a good friend. But even more important, I invite you to be that friend to someone else. And could we agree, right here, right now, that if by chance you and I are stranded on a small, desert-like island, just the two of us, could we agree up front that we're going to pray for each other? If you agree with that, give me a hearty amen. amen. Let's wrap up by coming to the table of Jesus. So if you get your communion elements together. I want to read from the lips of Jesus, John chapter 15. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for a friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything I have learned from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Live your best life, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love one another. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for a friend. That 
is what Jesus did for you and he did for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in this holy moment, as we are about to enter into a time of worship, to remember all that you have done for us, we remember this one thing, that Jesus has chosen us as a friend. And he has done the ultimate act of a friend. He laid down his life for us that we might live. And so in this moment, we just say thank you by partaking of this meal. And by by partaking of it, we're not only saying thank you, but we are afresh taking Jesus into our lives that his life may be lived out through us for the friends that you've placed in front of us. We thank you again in the name of Jesus and by his authority, amen. Church, the body of Christ. Church, the blood of Jesus. Let's all be standing to our feet as we worship our God.